0: Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, if you have a a video cast or a podcast or you need some uh, remote filming, you got to check out Sweet Recording. They also build actual recording studios. So look them up. Joe and Matt will take care of you. So go to SweetRecording.com and check them out. And uh, we have a great show today. My guest, I've never met him. We're friends on Facebook. And I got to tell you, I think we became friends because we have a lot of... Mutual friends on Facebook, but the few times I was in the hospital, this guy always took time to send me messages like, "Hey, you know, get better," and it really meant a lot to me because you know most people are like, ah, we don't, we don't even give a shit." You're in the hospital, and uh, my my, it's Ike Richmond from Ike Richmond Communications. How you doing, Ike? I'm doing great,
1: and I hope you're doing well. And it's good to see you up and moving. And and a comment about uh, when you were in the hospital, it it, it I you yeah, think of it this way: a lot of people will post stuff from time to time. I'm in the hospital. And I take it this way. You're, you're posting it. That's personal. So they, you're really asking somebody to say, hey, I'm putting myself out on a limb here. I'm, I'm letting you know I'm not well. So if somebody's doing that, that means they really are asking for some well wishes. So I always take the time if anyone ever does that. And you're right. We've never really met in person. But I feel like we're connected. And when I saw you were going through some troubles, I said, Steve, hang in there. You got this. You're going to be okay and and it's great to see that those well wishes have worked.
0: Well yeah, you know, and it means a lot because you sit there it's like you know I never worried. I had I had a car, two cardiac, two and a half cardiac embolizations, five cardioversions. It was because of a regular heartbeat. But I knew I always had the faith that I would get better. But it's still scary when they're putting you under. And I would tell my wife. It had happened during the pandemic. I'm like, "Don't come down to the hospital." You know, you, first of all, you can't come in because of the pandemic. And I'm like, "You're just gonna sit and see me laying there." And I said, "That's no fun." So it meant a lot. So anyway, you you know, you said you have a bunch of stuff going on today. Tell me what it's like to be a big PR guy because we want to get to how you started in the business. But you're always busy. You're always at events. What, what's going What's going on today?
1: I'm I'm not a big PR guy. I'm a six foot four PR guy. <laughs> I, if you take big, I'm going to take it personally. I think that I'm heavy, and I and I like to think that I'm not. But I I probably could lose a little weight. But I I, I go back to uh, when I started in PR. I started the spectrum, and I was really doing publicity for events whether that be the Circus, Disney on Ice, the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, concerts, wrestling, Barney, Sesame Street. Um, and then it kind of evolved into doing some PR for Comcast Spectacore when we opened Wells Fargo Center and continuing to do events. So I've always been in the live event publicity space. And I we can get back into this later, but I left Comcast Spectacore in 2017, really started business. Of Ike Richmond Communications, and and what I've been doing is really, it's an extension of what I've already been doing—doing doing live event publicity, whether it's a groundbreaking, a ribbon cutting, a press conference, a uh, a live concert, opening a new venue, whether that's the Met in Philadelphia or other buildings across the U.S. So it's 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 been a passion, and it's almost like it's more of a lifestyle than a job, I would say. And 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 Yuki Washington from CBS Three always says it. If, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, and I absolutely love what I do.
0: Now, tell me about when you decided to go out on your own, because, you know, you're working, you're, you have a known name, you know, you're, you're, you've you been with the company for a long time. What were the steps that made you say, you know what, I got to do this. I, I got to be my own boss. How did that come about? <laughs> Ed Snyder, I worked
1: closely with Ed Snyder, the founder of the Philadelphia Flyers. He was he was my boss for many years, and, and, he, and he's a mentor, and his legacy lives on. And I hear his words every day when I get up and I approach things. And Ed always had a statement. He said, take what you do well and grow it. And when he left us, I said, I can do more. I can do what I'm doing and do more, and I can help more people, and I can help more clients, and I can do more things. So when I decided to leave, it was – take what i do well and grow it and 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 i i do publicity i work with live nation concerts at wells fargo center can i do that here yes um, i work with uh oakview group now it's uh, it, it it's a management company for public assembly facilities arenas and stadiums and at the time it was spectrum And that's what i was doing there so it's take all those components of what i do well and grow it and and help people uh connect with new audiences or new customers and really help them tell their story. I'm a storyteller. PR people are storytellers. And I love finding a good story and bringing it to an outlet, whether that's uh, a print outlet, a radio outlet, a TV outlet, uh, a blogger, social media app like this, and, and telling that story for the client.
0: Now, I've seen you post stuff about the Goldbergs. How are you involved with the show, the Goldbergs?
1: Oh, boy. When I was a senior in high school, I was a youth hockey coach. And there was a kid on our hockey team who was the worst player ever. The kid could not skate. He couldn't stand up on skates. He couldn't play hockey. And he was just awful. And years later, a show comes on the air about this hockey uh, kid did hockey. And a friend called me up and he said, "Um, did you watch the episode of the Goldberg last week? I said, no, I didn't. He goes, I think the kid that you used to coach is the kid in the episode. And I went back and looked it up and it was Adam Goldberg. And Adam Goldberg is now the executive creator of the Goldbergs. And he wrote this TV show about his real life growing up in Jenkintown. And what would happen was every episode, one of the characters, Barry Goldberg, wears a Flyers t-shirt in every episode. So we started having fun with the show when I was back with the flyers, we would send stuff to him. And, and he, he called me once and he said, um, you know, you're, 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 always getting me extra publicity. You should do this for a living. And I said, Adam, I'm leaving Comcast back to core and I'm happy to do whatever you need to push the agenda of the show. And Adam brought me on board and Adam, unfortunately is no longer with the show, but I owe him a great deal of gratitude for connecting me there. So I, I'm an episode publicist for the Goldbergs. And my job is to help find something that somebody can latch onto and talk about it at their job or at their home dinner tonight. And a friend of mine calls me the water cooler guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that gets everybody talking around the water cooler about the Goldbergs. And what I try to do is I, I find fun things. So our next episode doesn't air until November 30th but we're playing the song. We have a featured song in every episode from the 80s and we're featuring Something About You by Level 42. And I was able to get in touch with Mark from Level 42 and he gave me a nice comment about it. And he said, go nuts, push this out there on whatever platforms you want, put a little press release together. So it's it's finding people that may like Level 42 that may not know about the Goldbergs or that love the Goldbergs that may not know about Level 42. So it's Our job to connect that and and find ways to make that happen, whether that's through uh, level 42 social media, through an article that might appear on a music outlet. But it's just again, it goes back to my roots of telling stories and, and making fun for people. And connecting to them to something that they love.
0: It's funny when you said it. I'm I'm a big Goldberg's fan. Me and my wife watch it, and uh, I know Lou Schneider, who directs a lot of the episodes. And I I asked him when they had this show, they had an episode of Jim Steaks, and I said, "Dude, what? You know, how do you know Jim's?" And he said, "They built a, one of the writers or one of the staff uh, crew was from Philly, and they actually built a fake Jim Steaks where there's a date. And for me, because I am, you know, I was." That's my life. I grew up in Cherry Hill, not Jenkintown. You know, I'm that age. And the 80s music, I mean, you you know, the Hooters were on. I'm I'm friends with those guys. And I'm like, that was the best because I'm like, holy crap. Like, they they brought that out to people who may not know the Hooters are. But the people in Philadelphia, they're like a, you know, we grew up with them.
1: Sure. They're the soundtrack of our lives growing up in the 80s. if If you grew up in the Philadelphia area, everybody loves the Hooters i want to go something that that shows you the kind of person adam f goldberg is when he created the show and he was he would call me and i go oh my gosh my phone's ringing it's 10:45 at night well i remember it's only 7:45 in los angeles and it was adam i go is everything okay he goes quick question is it the freeway or the parkway i go give me the context he goes the family's driving to the sixers game we're going to the spectrum to see the sixers is it the freeway or the parkway i go dude, you must have been gone too long. It's the expressway. (laughs) That's right. It's the Schuylkill Expressway. I said, it's not the Schuylkill Expressway. It's just the expressway. He goes, got it. So if you watch that episode, uh, Jeff Carlin, who who played Murray, he's no longer on the show, but he goes, guys, we're on the expressway and we're going to the Sixers game. So it's like that was my one contribution to one of the episodes is, is clarifying things for the show. And we have a lot of fun with that. And they try to authenticate it and make it as real as possible about being in Jenkintown, being around the eighties. And, and I, I remember one episode, I, I, it was an episode, but Dallin Pavey, who's married to Dave and of the Hooters. I think she wrote to me and said, why don't you ever get the Hooters on? And I, I, I told her who to contact and they got the Hooters on <laughs> and, and they brought the whole band out there and, And Rob sent me a note. He goes, hey, they had us on. I think they filmed us for like an hour and used about four seconds. I said, that's Hollywood, Rob. You know, you get on and you're lucky you're on.
0: Now, now, what made you, you know, as a kid, because I always think PR, because, you know, I was in the entertainment business and I've helped people with PR. And, you know, you're a storyteller. I think we we learned storytelling at a young age. I, you know, I don't know if we just, it's a gift of gab, it's the playground, whatever. But when did you know, and I know, I, I know you also love music and that's also been a big part of your career. But when, when did you sit there and say, I want to tell stories, I want to get into PR. I mean, what was your path to getting into a career of PR? Because it's, it's one of those paths, you know.
1: I, I, I didn't know what PR was until it hit me in the face. And I, and I'll tell you, this is a true story, and I tell this, and it's I really tell this for students, and and I want the audience to hear this through because it'll make sense. But I went to the University of Maryland, Proctor here, by the way. Uh, I went to the University of Maryland, and I didn't know what I wanted to study. And I I started saying I was going to be in physical therapy, and I kept listening to the radio. I kept taping things on the radio. I kept making mixtapes, and a guy goes why are you in that career? You should be in radio. And I walked over and they have a radio station in Maryland, duh, WMUC. I walked in and I said, I, I, I'm interested in music and radio. And the guy goes, you know how to queue up a record. I go, no. And he shows me how, and he goes, this is how you turn the microphone on and this is the next song you play. And he goes, do you got it? And I said, I think so. He goes, good. Cause I'm late for a class you're on next. So I, I kind of started at WMUC and I ended up getting a shift and I, I had a, a rock show and had a good following. And one day there was a two guys were out in the lobby and they were they were talking and I said, Is everything okay? And the guy goes, We need somebody to go to the Caps Center tonight. Uh the, the Caps are playing the Flyers. We need somebody to interview a couple of players after the game. We'll put the sound bites on the air and go, Time out. I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm a flyer fan. I'm going. I'm in. So I go to the game and I'm sitting in the press box and I'm sitting next to this guy, Mark Piazza. He's a PR guy for the Flyers. And I I said, you know, I'm graduating next year. And he goes, here's my card. Call me. And I, I, I called him and he said, I have one job. You're going to be a press box steward. You keep the soft drinks cold, the coffee hot. 25 bucks a game. You in? I said, absolutely. First game in walks the legendary voice of the Flyers, Gene Hart. Gene Hart. I said, Gene, I've been sending resumes to your radio station. Nobody ever answers. Nobody ever responds. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to call tomorrow, and you're going to tell this person I told you to call. So I called the next day. They bring me in for an interview, and they give me a job as a producer at WIP. Um, I'm going to produce the Howard Askin Show, 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 7 o'clock at night. Sounds great. I'm a morning guy. What am I going to do all day long till 3 o'clock? Well, wait a minute. They gave me a press pass. I'm going to go to Flyers game practice, Sixers practice. I'm just going to get my name out there. And I started networking. And I'm going to hit pause here for one second to let – the story goes like this. It's not what you know. It's not who you know. It's take advantage of opportunities that exist. And if you think back, so I was at WMUC. Two guys said somebody needs to go to the game tonight. I go to the game. I sit next to Mark Piazza. Mark gives me a job at the Spectrum. The Spectrum leads to me talking to Gene Hart. Gene Hart gets me a job at WIP. I'm at WIP. I have a press pass and I'm in the hallways of the spectrum. And the great Larry Rubin, may he rest in peace, comes up and he says, Why are you here? And what are you, what are you doing and why are you here? And who the heck are you anyway? I said, Ike Richmond, WIP. He goes, you ever think about a career in PR? I said, PR? I, I grew up in Philly. I like Philadelphia. Don't know much about Puerto Rico. Not interested in moving right now. <laughs> So that's my first in touch with what is PR. And he goes, no, PR is public relations. You seem to know a lot of people. You're a hustler. You know how to make things happen. Do you have any writing samples? And I said, "Uh, yeah. He goes, bring them in tomorrow. So I went home and I started writing my samples. So I I went in and I interviewed with Larry and Larry said, we're going to take a chance on you. I had zero, Steve, zero PR experience. But he saw something in me that said, you can do this. And it was just by working with people. And on my first day on the job, first day on the job, guess who I run into? The guy that I sat next to at the cap center in the press box, Mark Piazza. And he goes, hey, they hired you here. I said, yeah. He goes, I'm gonna give you some advice. Take it or leave it. He goes, don't worry about what you know or don't know. Take care of people and you'll go really far. And that is true advice. It's take care of people listen to them, see what they need. I never say no to people. I may say not yet, or let me find a way to make it work, but it's always about taking care of people, taking care of the artists that I work with, taking care of the clients that I work with. Those are some real advice that I, that, I, that has stuck with me. And, and I learned all of this from, from being with great people.
0: Now, how did you start growing up the ranks you start you know i just said you had no experience and but you i mean but you have life experience and that's so important you know you, you've talked to people so how did you know um when well, how did you start growing in the business
1: well how do so i i surrounded myself with good people and and i'll start with the concert business for a while for a minute but at shows, it, it, my job at a concert back at the day at the Spectrum or Wells Fargo Center was really just escorting the photographers into the pit and walking them out. But but to get the photo passes, you had to go to a tour manager or, or a production manager. And instead of just saying, hey, I'm here for the passes, I'm walking out, it's like, hey, where do you guys come from before here? Oh, you were in Baltimore. How was Baltimore? Where are you heading next? Oh, Pittsburgh. You're looking for it. Did you see anything in Philly? Hey, let me get you some stuff. And I would always get Flyers t-shirts and leave them in the production office or make sure their stay was a little bit better than than the other arenas. And I would start to network and we'd go sit in catering and I would talk to the promoter uh, and then this guy, Jeff Gordon, would show up and I'd start networking with Jeff. And now I work with Jeff at Live Nation. Jeff and I would work together backstage when he was bringing shows to Wells Fargo Center of the Spectrum now we're working more closely together at the met or uh, camden or atlantic city or other shows so it's and, and there's a lot of people like that it's just networking with people and listen to them and spending a lot of time talking to them and and steve when i left the job the first thing that i did to get my name back out there was i and i recommend this to a lot of people if they're in their in a career switch switch go out for coffee or lunch with a different person every day and just chat just chat you know me I know you, you know what I can do. You know what, how I can help you. If you need me, you know where I'm at. And and I had a lot of those conversations and we just aligned up like that and just, just your results carry your, your, your reputation. So if you can produce great, if you can network great and you can connect the dots, great. And that's, that's how I kind of got to where I'm at.
0: Tell me about some of the events you've, you've worked with. I know we had talked to your big Van Halen fan and uh, you probably met a lot of great, uh, Musicians that you're fans of. But you know, I, I are you I think you're a big fish fan, aren't you? Because I, I see you posted about fish.
1: I, I, I like to say that I'm in the fish family. So uh yes, Van Halen is my number one band. Huge, 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 huge fan. We can come back to that. Uh, but but I like fish. I really admire what they do. They are extremely talented and they're geniuses at what they do. They're always I was thinking about this today. They continue to redefine themselves and expose themselves in ways that are gonna grow their audience. And they continue to set the barrier or the barometer as high as they can. But what happened was I, I, had, I had heard their music in 1992. I had never seen them, but my phone rang in December of 1995 from Brad Sands, who then was the tour manager and said, I'm bringing Fish into Philadelphia. We play the Spectrum tomorrow. My guys are big Flyer fans, anything you could do. And I said, Brad, you tell me what hotel you're staying at. I'll pick you up tomorrow, and I'll take you to Flyer practice. And we went to practice, and I brought Trey Anastasia. I brought Mike Gordon, and I brought Paige McConnell. And we went to Flyers practice. Uh, John Fishman didn't attend with us. And they got to meet John LeClaire, and they met Bob Clark. And we, we just had a great bonding of a day. And I stayed in touch with the guys. And again, it goes back to giving guy bands and artists things that they want when they're in town, giving them a great experience. And and I've stayed in touch with Fish since that encounter in 95. And every time they come to town, I always go to the show and find a way to go back and say hello to the guys. And they remember me and we always, we'll always remember that date that we all hung out and we just kind of kibitz a little bit. But it's always great to reconnect. I just had Fish in Atlantic City for three nights this past summer. They played two nights at the Man. And I was at Boardwalk Hall, which was where the production offices were and the buses were parked. And I was walking towards the venue, and Tranastasia had seen me and he came over and we just chatted for about 10 minutes. And it was great to reconnect. We've kind of grown up together in this business and, and we have families and we talk about our daughters and we, we talk about life and we talk about hockey and we talk about sports. And it's just great. And that's, that's I'm a fan, but I'm also a family member and I love, I love the guys.
0: Now, I saw also on your Facebook, and I, I, I wasn't living here. I was on the West Coast when it happened. Tell me about, you posted about the Metallica show. Was it in Wells Fargo parking lot?
1: So back in 1997, and, and you're going to bear with me as I'm I, I, supposed to be in an event, so I'm going to walk closer to the event just to keep my eye on things. But back in 1997, Metallica made an announcement. They were releasing an album, and they wanted to do a one-off show. They're going to do a one-off show uh, and they're looking to do it in a parking lot. And they were calling it the million decibel March. This was right after the million man March in DC a few months earlier. So the band wanted to do a million decibel March, if you will. And they put it out there. Hey, we'll come to your town. So there were some behind the scenes dealings that they were going to do the show in Philadelphia. And When word got out that they were gonna do a million decibel march and do it in Philadelphia, Jim Kinney, who's now our mayor, at the time was councilman at large, and he said, whoa, 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 we're not having a million people outside Wells Fargo Center, and we're not having a show that's gonna be a million decibels, and city council tried to stop the show. So at the same time, a press release went out about this show and said the core state's uh, arena And I had called the manager of the band and said, hey, I saw your press release at Core State Serena. By the way, the name of the building is the Core State Center. So he said, okay, well, there was – you can look it up, but it kind of went to court. There was an injunction that the band said we had a deal and we're supposed to have the concert. And city council tried to stop the concert. So the judge judge had a ruling, and he said – if the PR guy changed the press release, then the show goes on as planned. So, I'm, I'm jumping around here because it's a long story, but we ended up having the show in the parking lot, and as the PR guy, there was this fear that we were gonna have a lot of people, It was gonna be a lot of noise, it was gonna be loud. I strategically had TV stations and newspapers and reporters scattered throughout this city in South Philadelphia, somewhere on the other side of the arena. And when the show was happening, There was a guy in the parking lot on the other side of Wells Fargo Center live and he goes the only thing I hear are the helicopters flying above I don't hear any of the music which was music to our ears because after that we were able to bring the the warp tour to the Wells Fargo Center parking lot and do other events that that all culminated from that so Metallica ended up releasing the video as a a fan cam uh, production and at the end of the credits they said they thanked uh, Peter Luca, my boss at the time, and John Page, a colleague of mine, and me, for hauling our ass into court and kicking our collective asses. And they gave us a nice shout out. It was it was just fun to relive that memory. It was it was a long day. It was fun, and it was just uh, it was, it's what we do is producing shows, and it
0: was great. Now you'd mentioned earlier about networking. How important is networking? Like, what would you you know? Some people hate networking. Some people don't know how to network. What is it for you? And what makes you a good networker?
1: It's the most important thing you could do in business, Steve. It, 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 long before there was Facebook and, and connecting people, it's who do you know? And, and that's, that's the game. And you can't get anywhere in, in business or in life without connecting with people. And for networking, for me, some of my secrets or some of my techniques are when you meet somebody mm-hmm. and they give you a business card, take the business card and turn it over and write down three things about that person that you'll want to remember. Oh, he has two kids, went to Penn State. Loves tuna fish salad sandwiches from Lee's Hogies. Just put that on the back of your car. And when you're going to meet with them or you're going to call them, it's like, hey, how the kids doing? Hey, how about that Penn State game on Saturday? Hey, want to grab a tuna sandwich from Lee's lately? So it's like you're connecting with them and you resonate with them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy remembers me. And and it's it's really important. And also, I love connecting people. And I, I, I see this on Facebook Um Somebody wrote on Facebook not too long ago, it's like, hey, anybody have any connection with Gritty? I need him for an event. Well, I have connections with the Flyers, and I said, hey, what is the event? And I, I got Gritty to go to the event. And they said, what can I do for you? I said, nothing, pay it forward, help somebody else out. Like, it was, it was connecting people, but it was, it was looking out for people, but it was like, and you know what? They called me recently for some more work because I, I helped them out. So it's networking, it's listening to people, taking care of people, and just helping people. And that that's thats the key. And you can't, I don't think you can get far without networking. I don't think so. I think you need it, and I think it's the most essential thing. It's all about relationships. And I talk about this a lot in business with a lot of people. If you know somebody that can help you, network with that person, lean on that person, take advantage of that opportunity, and, and, and make it work.
0: So now you know as you you're getting all these new events. How do you choose what event you want to promote? Is it just I mean because you have to work about a, a workload, but is it something where you find something that you're really passionate about? Like of course, if Van Halen said, "Hey, we're doing we're doing a tour with uh, Satriani's joining us," and da da da. I'm sure if they said you want to do it, you'd be all over it. But like, well, how do you pick and choose? Because once again, yours it comes from your passion.
1: Well, you could could look at it two ways. What's the easy way out or what's the favorite way out or what's the one that's going to need the most work? And sometimes I will give up the opportunity to take Joe on a tour because a client really needs my help on something. So it's which one is the one that needs the most help is where the priority is. So, yeah, as much as fun as it would be to go – to see a show this weekend, we had Michelle Obama at The Net Philadelphia, and we had a lot of stuff that was going on, so I stayed back for that. So it's, it's sometimes it might be fun to go to an event or say, oh, I want to be there, but I, I find more fun in the rewards of, of doing the work that needs to get done and making things happen.
0: Tell me about the Obama event because I saw it on the today show yesterday with the two, uh, the two ladies, the 101, hundred year old and 95 year old, which I said, they have great family. That's some great genes when they're living that long. How, how did you get involved with that? And, and and that was such a cool moment. And you know, Hoda was saying how seeing it in person was just amazing how those two women reacted to Michelle Obama. I mean, how does something like that happen?
1: So again, it goes to networking. So, uh, the woman I, I think called her council rep or or state senator that she was celebrating a milestone birthday. And, and it got to CBS three's attention and CBS three, uh, the assignment editor called me over the, said Hey, we see this thing. Is there anything you can do? And I was working with the tour and it's like, I sent a note to the tour and said, Hey, if there's something you could do on this. And they came back and said, yes, let's make this happen. So it's you need to be at this place at this time, and let's make it happen. And it just all came together, and and that's what we do is we make memories. It, it's, it, that's really what we do. If if somebody says, at the end of the day, what do you do best? I tell stories and make memories. And and we made a memory for a family that's going to last forever. And and her her daughter and granddaughter were there to see it, and they're going to share that. And and I did not realize that it made the today show, but it makes sense because Hoda was there for the experience and to see it make national news is just a rewarding experience that I like to think we had some kind of part in that. And and not that I'm looking for the credit and I don't want the accolades, but it's all about our building and, and the Met was able to make that happen. So kudos to the team for making that happen.
0: What was it like promoting the Met when it first opened? And the Met's a beautiful, beautiful building. In fact, I, I had gone to see uh, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd because – Gary Kemp from Ballet was on my show and he got me and my friend sure. backstage passes. And it's a beautiful backstage. It's one of sure. those things. But what was it like promoting that? Because it's, it's a new venue, the area, you know, people it's getting better, but it's like, how do you go when you go, how do you strategically pull off something like promoting the vet on the Met?
1: All the credit in the world for the Met goes to really Jeff Gordon at Live Nation. It was his vision to restore that building, revitalize that building and bring new life to North Broad. So he gets all the credit, but he said to me, hey, help us tell the story. So we found ways to uh, connect with the audience, connect with music fans, connect with radio stations, connect with uh, TV outlets, and find ways to get people to tell our story. And then it just became unbelievable, res- unbelievably received that people wanted to be part of that excitement and, and see events and, and just experience it and then it became this must-go must, must go place that it didn't matter who the artist was. You were, you went to see Nick Mason, but you also went to see the Met. And that's what it became. It's like, let's go see a show at the Met because it's it's unbelievable. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about the Met. Is, uh, I, I don't remember the show. I, I can't remember the show. I think it was Fish. Fish was playing. We got Fish to play at the Met not too short after we opened think I can't remember the band I can't remember the show but I went out to dinner at one of the restaurants across, uh, down the street and I was sitting with a couple of live nation people and and a guy next to me he he he's at another table and he leans over he goes you guys going to the met tonight I said we are he goes have you been there before I I kind of played dumb I said no, what do you know about it he goes unbelievable I said have you been there he goes no but I I read all the articles in the paper and there's this guy, he works there, and he told us the best place to go is this. And he heard about it on the radio, and Pierre Robert was talking about it. And I saw it on NBC10. I go, you seem to know a lot about the med. He goes, it's just everywhere. And, like, I just laughed because that was our job to make sure it was everywhere. And I I, I didn't want to burst this bubble and say, you know, I had something to do with that. I kind of just let it go. And I, and we all, like, leaned over at each other and it's like, Everybody loves the Met. And it was like that was the moment that we 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 hit and said, this is awesome. And like we're going to we're going to do great things because people love the building.
0: Now, how, how do you come about writing your story? Like when you sit there and you get a pitch or whatever, how do you develop the story? Do you sit there and pull from your if it's music, pull from like your experiences? How do you formulate that that story?
1: You got to you got to look at it from different angles, and it's not what you think is. It's not always what you think is going to be best, or it's not always what the artist is going to think is best. Sometimes, what do you think is going to click with the audience? So we have fun with it. Um, the Go Go's were going to have their song featured on um, The Goldbergs, and one of the Go Go's is a huge fan of Jeff Garland's, uh, Again, played Murray on The Goldbergs. And she wrote, we love Jeff. Anything he does, we love, we support, we're happy to do it. And I go, could I say you are head over heels about him? And she goes, oh, isn't that the song you're playing? I go, exactly. So we turned it into this head over heels about you kind of moment. And it, it was fun. It, it it clicked. And that's what we did.
0: So I'm gonna, I know you're busy. I'm going to give you one more question. Um
1: no, you, I'm just going to sit down. I found out where I need to go. I'm just going to sit down. You keep
0: talking. I'm all yours. Hey, what uh, what what's the future? What, what do you look for in the future of your business? How do you want to grow?
1: How do I want to grow? I mean, do you want? I, to... I
0: just I want to keep connecting people. I want to keep
1: making a difference. I want to keep having fun, and I, I just want to keep experiencing good things for people and and making people happy and get what they want and and whether that's. Uh, a fan that wants to go to a show or that's somebody that wants to go to a building or wants to tune in and watch a show. And there's, there's a lot of nonprofits that I work with and I'm very passionate about my work in the nonprofit space because nonprofits can really make a difference in the community. And it's, it's about the work that we do. And there's a word that I use a lot in nonprofits and the word is impact. And what is the impact that you can make for a community person and, and people that give money, Thank you. It's great. But do the work. Instead, sometimes it's do the work that gives a bigger impact. And there's some great charities out there. I had a great, great event yesterday. Uh, Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles announced yesterday that he is going to be a board member for the Ed Snyder Youth Hockey and Education. I'm on the board of Ed Snyder Youth Hockey and Education. I also do all of their communications. And I had the opportunity to work with Brandon and make that announcement yesterday. And it, it, he was on WIP this morning. And here they are talking about the work of Ed not Youth Hockey and Education on WIP. Uh, Brandon was interviewed by NBC. It's going to air on the Sunday pregame show when the Eagles hopefully destroy the Packers on Sunday night on NBC primetime football. Again, they're talking about Ed not Youth Hockey and Education. So it's g- giving opportunities for nonprofits that are making a difference in our community.
0: How do you pick and choose your nonprofits? Because there's so many out there.
1: I don't. I don't pick and choose. I, I I started with Police Athletic League many years ago because they're just so great, and they brought me on board and said, "We need your help." And same with Snyder. I was there when Ed Snyder created Ed Snyder Youth Hockey and Education, and I've stayed true with them. Uh, there are other groups like Jewish Federation of Greater Philadelphia. I love working with them. their, their mission is strong, and they do great things. And it's it's identifying opportunities to help connect them and, and grow what they're doing and make an impact on their work. So I don't pick and choose if a, if a nonprofit comes to me, I'm happy to work with them. Uh, and a lot of times I'll be honest with that. I don't think that I can help you. I, I had a client today, not potential call, and I said, tell me what you have in mind. And we walked through and I said, you can do this all by yourself. You just needed someone to tell you that. And he goes, really? I said, you don't need a PR person. He goes, got it. And And he called back and he goes, you're absolutely right. So sometimes it's, I, I like to help people and that that's the basis of this is helping them first and then making it work.
0: Now, because you've been in PR and you know, you love music and you you help promote shows. Can you actually relax if you just go to a show to watch it? Like, do you ever do that or are you are always behind the scenes? Like I would think that your mind was probably always going. I mean, can you just sit down? Let's say you go to see Springsteen. Can you just sit your ass in the seat and just enjoy it for three and a half hours? Or do you sit there and go, Oh, man, I, I got to see this, this. I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how does it affect you personally? Well,
1: first, off, first off, I don't think anybody can ever sit down at a Bruce Springsteen show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's number one. But a lot of the times my responsibilities at a show may be making sure the media has what they need or that the photographers get the first three songs and you walk them in, you walk them out. So once they're done by the fourth or fifth song, I will just absorb it all in. And they're really, Steve, you know this. There is nothing like the live music experience. And, it, and I just love soaking it all in. And I was fortunate enough to be on the beach this summer, three shows with Fish and uh, three days of the Tidal Wave Music Festival. And just being amongst people, being amongst people that share a common interest in music and just being on the sun and just taking it all in and just pausing life to say, wow. And, and there's really nothing like that. So I definitely take an opportunity to say, Oh my gosh, pinch me. I'm doing something I love. I'm out here where I, I love where I am. I love who I'm with. And I love the sounds that are coming from the speakers. And there's no other place I'd rather be. So for those few minutes, I soak it all in as much as I can.
0: Now, what is one of your highlights? of the concerts you've promoted when you sit there and you look back was it a van halen show was it i mean i'm sure you have so many great stories but what what was like one of your highlights where you sit there and go like for me with my other podcast when i was interviewing steven van zandt he's on zoom i'm like holy crap i'm talking to steven van zandt for an hour to me that was a highlight i was i was intimidated a little bit but for you you know what was one of your big highlights of a concert that you were involved with that you just looked and went wow this is just amazing. The,
1: the Metallica, the Metallica show—nothing will ever beat that, because that was an opportunity to do something. And then there was—we went to court about it. There was doubts that the show was going to happen, and then we had it. And and it—it it, it was a non-traditional venue. It was in the parking lot, but we knocked it out of the park. That was one. Um, another one was I, I used to keep a calendar on my desk, and I would write S for Spectrum, C for Center and I would list the events, and I, I remember it was October 3rd, 1998, and I said, wait a minute, the bare Naked Ladies are at the Spectrum at the same time the Flyers are at Wells Fargo. Huh. I wonder if they would want to come to the game. Well, I, I, I reached out to the band, uh, Tom Cunningham, who was with Reprise Records at the time. Tom said, I'll, I'll ask the band if they want to do it, and we got the band to agree to do the National Anthem. And the band said... By the way, we're taping a documentary called "Bare Naked in America." Any chance we could record? I said you could bring your cameras wherever you want. So I went to the Spectrum. I met them in the parking lot on the bus. We walked over to Wells Fargo Center. They did the national anthem. We walked back to the Spectrum. They did sound check. We walked back to the center. They watched the Flyers game. We walked back and did the concert that night. So it was just a fun, a fun moment, and <laughs> that was a highlight. And the other, the other one that stands out is Roger Waters, uh, from Pink Floyd. (laughs) Excuse me. Roger was going to do three nights at the Wells Fargo center for the dark side of the moon tour and the Phillies were playing. So I, I, I approached, uh, Roger and said, uh, would you throw out the first pitch at a game? He says, what, what does that entail? And I said, it's it's really simple. We're going to, we're going to have a van at the backstage at the bottom of the stage you and I are going to get in the van. We're going to drive up the ramp. We're going to cross Broad Street, Patterson Avenue. We're going to go down the ramp. We're going to go out onto the field. We're going to throw out the pitch. you are going to reverse it back. And when we get back here, you're going to look at me and go, did we really do that? And he goes, can you make sure that that all happens? I said, yeah. So we get in the van and the guy and the driver calls. The police stop the traffic. We get down. Dan Baker, the legendary PA at the at the Citizens Bank Park, please welcome from the dark side of the mound, Roger Waters. He throws out the pitch. We get back in. We drive up. And he stops the van. He says, stop right here, will you? And the driver says, everything OK? He goes, I'm going to get out and talk to some of these fans. And he gets out. He signs autographs. He takes pictures. And I see him backstage at the at the catering room. And he goes, did we really just do that? I said, I told you you would say that. And also, I, I don't know if you're I, the walls. My, is my favorite album of all time. I, I just love it. And I got to sit down and ask Roger uh, about the wall. And I don't know if you know this. It's it's documented, but not a lot of people know this. Do you know where the concept of comfortably numb came from? I do not. Okay, so Pink Floyd played the Spectrum on the Animals Tour in 1977. And Roger was sick as a dog. And he, he just wasn't feeling well. So a doctor gave him a shot, like uh, a, a shot, and he... he he goes, he goes, I, my hands, I, I can't I can't I, I can't feel my strings. My hands feel like two balloons. Like I, I can't do this. So Snowy White went out and finished the set for the for that animal show, the Pink Floyd show on the animals tour. And he did not play the encore. Snowy White played the encore because his hand felt like two balloons. And that was the where the, the, the lyric came from. And that experience, the, the wall is sort of, if you know the album, it's about an overprotective mother, a guy who loses his father in the war, and then this this artist who who builds a wall around himself because he can't be around people and he is afraid to go back on stage and the doctor comes to help him, and it's the doctor is that scene from backstage of the spectrum. So Roger and I talked about it that night, and I just had an opportunity to ask the guy that wrote my favorite album, questions about the album. So it was just a a fun memory to go back to your questions, like what stands out. Uh, But I've worked with a lot of artists and, and there's some great ones. Uh, Garth Brooks was great. Uh, Dave Matthews was great. Pearl Jam, closing the spectrum was great. We had a lot of fun with them. Uh, I got to work with the Rolling Stones. I got to work with the who Um, just a lot of artists. I got to work with destiny's child before Beyonce became Beyonce. I worked with boys to men for many years and just, Billy Joel, I've worked with a lot of Billy Joel shows and, and with him for many years. And just, I just love being around music. It's, 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 a, it's a hobby, it's a passion, and it's a lifestyle. And I love it.
0: One final question. What was it like t- to you, because I was on the West Coast when it happened, when the spectrum closed? Was that like a broken heart thing for you? I mean, what was that like?
1: Uh, I remember meeting with Ed Snyder and said, we're going to close the spectrum. And I said, oh my gosh, Ed, that's your baby. He goes, yeah. I said, well, I have three goals in mind. He goes, what are they, Ike? I said, I want to do a book, I want to do a commemorative book, I want to do a, a documentary, and I want to do a website. He goes, Ike, you get no budget for this, no budget. So I work with Comcast SportsNet Brad Now. Uh, Brad Now produced the documentary. We got him interviews with Billy Joel. We got him interviews with Mickey Hart of the Grateful Dead. He interviewed Christian Laettner. He interviewed circus performers. He interviewed Bob Clark. We interviewed Wayne Gretzky. Great documentary. Great documentary. Uh, I partnered with the Daily News and we created a book called God Bless the Spectrum. And we did a website that was called RememberTheSpectrum.com. And it became a site where you could buy uh, merchandise. So we did it all without any budget. And it was uh, successful. And Ed was pleased with everything. Um, it, it, was, it was time for the spectrum to go. Um, and, and something that Ed Snyder and I talked about a lot was, if you think about it, it was bricks and mortar and a lot of memories. And while the bricks and mortar may not be here, the memories will never fade.
0: Well, that's awesome. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're a very busy guy. How can people get in touch with you? How, how, how do we find out what's going on with Ike's World? Uh, I have a website. It's called getmepress.com.
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Ike underscore Richmond, R-I-C-H-M-A-N. I chat everybody, and 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 look, you, you and I, we met on Facebook, and we're we're chatting now. So I'll I'll chat anybody. I, I always encourage people if you have a question or you're unsure of something, send me a private messenger. I'm always here to help.
0: So people go check them out. Ike's great, you know. Look and just go back and listen to some of the. Concerts at the Spectrum. You can find actually a list uh, on on the online that has all the concerts that are there. And I went to so many different ones. I was just talking about the Foghat, Blue Oyster, Colt concert years ago. And uh, oh, so, you, you, know who, you know who curated that list? You. There you go. See that? So people, you want to check that out. So people also go to uh, thecooptank.podbean.com or Amazon Music or Spotify or iHeartRadio and look up the Coop Tank. You can find. A bunch of episodes up there. Go to my other website, coopertalk.net. I have over 935 celebrity episodes. I want to thank my producer, Mr. Joe Ganjemi, and look into sweet recording to do a great job. So I'm Steve Cooper, and I want to say thank you guys and have a great day.